You're in the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. So we have a special combination today. Gene, Randall, and we have Jerome Clark, who recently had published the third edition of his UFO encyclopedia. Welcome back, Jerry. Good to hear from you. Well, thanks. Thanks for having me. Now, before we go on here, and I wanted to discuss the book and what changes are made, was there ever hope of having a version that people can afford? You know, I, I have battled for that for years. I've wanted a trade paperback version published at an affordable price. And it's unfortunately not a decision that's in my hands, but I've tried everything that I could do to persuade the publisher that this is a good idea, to no avail, sadly. I won't quit, and I hope one day to succeed, but so far, nothing's happening. The book is so expensive because it's marketed to the reference book, so in other words, it appears in libraries and institutions, and deep-pocketed ufologists. But the rest of us, if I, if, I, if I were not the author, I couldn't afford a copy. For those who are wondering, the Amazon discount price, the discount price is one forty-seven twenty-five. The discount price, I think it lists for $155. But we're not talking with a casual book here. We're talking about two or three volumes, is it? Two volumes. Two volumes, 1,520 pages. And small print. Oh, just like a college textbook. It's heavy and all levels of heavy. <laughs> that, that's for the uh, current one. If, if you want to get a copy of the second edition, your previous one, I was looking on Amazon, and there's one on there going, did you know this, for over $1,000? Oh, I don't even want to think about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was published in 1998, yeah. 20 years ago. So what has 20 years separation between edition number two and edition number three? What has that wrought in terms of changed content? Well, for one thing, we understand the early history of the phenomenon much better than we did in 1998. For one thing, the Internet gave us access to all kinds of archives, newspaper archives, other kinds of archives, which really opened up the early history of ufology to us. The, the UFO phenomena of the 19th century and the early pre-1947, 20th century, it opened up official documents so we have a clearer idea of what the Air Force, for example, was up to. And so it's a much fuller history of the past. And of course, you know, the, the history has plugged along since 1998. But I think that the book really is, is pretty much a state of the art. Now, a full history of ufology and the UFO phenomenon probably would comprise about 10 volumes of the size of the current two, but that nobody's going to publish 10 volumes and and no sane human being would want to write it. The third edition of the UFO Encyclopedia really opens up a lot of stuff. Can you give us some more examples of what's being changed here? Because I think listeners want to know, if you're going to save up, one hundred forty-seven fifty for the book, and maybe someone with deeper pockets than we have wants to buy you a Christmas present or a Hanukkah present or something. Might want to buy this book. What are they going to get? What 
significant things can we talk about? Well, for example, particular interest of mine is the airship phenomenon, which was really a proto-UFO phenomenon that began in the latter half of the 19th century and stretched into the first couple of decades of the 20th. And it involved sightings of dirigible-like objects, sometimes with occupants, that did not belong there. There were no dirigibles in America in the uh, late 19th century, yet they were sighted by the thousands and documented in newspaper articles voluminously. And this is a phenomenon that was recognized first by Charles Ford, who who realized that this was a, a national phenomenon, even an international phenomenon. So his book, New Lands, published in 1923, is the first coverage of this particular aerial anomaly between book covers. And from the very first UFO books, but going back to 1950, there was some acknowledgement of airship sightings. Since the era of the Internet, we've had access to thousands of newspaper and other archives. So we have all kinds of sightings, all kinds of encounters, all kinds of things that we didn't know about before. We didn't even know about in 1998 when I was finishing up the second edition. So there are lots of reports of all kinds of things, including not only airships, but more modern UFO-like objects seen in and recorded in the 19th century. We have men in black stories. We have reports of alien occupants of UFOs even in the 19th century. And I try to include as much of this as I could. My interests are primarily focused on the pre-1947 history. So there's a lot of that in the book. There's also Brad Sparks, who contributed to the book, also done an enormous amount of study into uh, the radar visual sightings, some of them not even known about because they were just dug, they were just dropped deep into the official archives, but he dug them out and he found them. And um, we have full accounts of radar visual cases and other cases. Uh, a really good piece on the abduction phenomenon written by Eddie Bullard, who's a folklorist with a sympathetic interest in UFOs. It's, it's a real work of scholarship, if I do say so myself. I wrote about 80% of the book myself, and the rest is contributors like Brad Sparks, who's an aerospace engineer, Tom Tallinn, who's a student of, the, of radar visual cases. Brad Sparks is interested in cases that involve physical evidence. And we have contributions from Bill Chalker in Australia and Tiago Luis Ticetti from Brazil. So there's an enormous amount of material. Much of it will not be familiar even to hardcore ufologists. So if you, if you can afford the book or find some way to get a copy, you'll learn a lot. And it'll be also a handy reference book with full accounts of known cases, but with more detail and sometimes new information about them. It was an exhausting thing to do, and I hope never to write another one. But it, but it is, I think, a lasting contribution to the serious literature. Now, looking at cases, and I want to get into the folklore later, but looking into different cases, did you find any specific cases there where 
the outcome changed where it may have been an unknown in previous editions of the book. But now, you know, maybe there's well, a logical explanation. They, they, and just to understand, they, we, have they, about a, we have about a minute left in this segment. Then we'll they, go to the I'll next just, one. then I'll answer briefly. They went both ways. Some cases that look to be explained 20 years later don't look explained. Some that seemed unexplained now seem explainable, most prominently Roswell in the latter category. All right. And, and other crash retrieval cases. Well, that's the point here, too, that I've always worried about here. Over the years, we've had claims of crash retrievals, and they never seem to hold up once you have investigations. Certainly, Aztec died a long time ago, as far as I'm concerned, although it has that Dracula aspect where you stick a stake in it, as someone once said on the show, and it comes back to life, which reminds me of the scene in an old universal horror film from the 40s where someone is exhibiting Dracula, the skeleton of Dracula. And in a fit of anger, the mad scientist pulls the stake out of Dracula's heart and it comes back to life. As John Carradine, by the way. We have Jerome Clark. He's talking about the third edition of his UFO encyclopedia. And we're talking about specifically things that have changed over the years in terms of research. With Gene and Randall, you're in the Pattercast. We also have swag. You know, we have all these exclusive Paracast things that you can buy. We've got like, I guess, 60 or so different items. And entails t-shirts, sleeves for notebook computers, iPad cases, mouse pads, the Paracast Jumbo tote bag, all sorts of t-shirts and jackets and stuff like that for men and women. We have a Paracast aluminum water bottle. All this stuff, you go to store.theparacast.com, store.theparacast.com. What makes it special is that the items are the best quality, great T-shirts, fabrics, and they have our official logo on them. That's what makes them special in multiple sizes and colors. We even have stuff for children, stuff for women, stuff for men. We have all sorts of sizes, like small up to X large. A lot of good stuff. That's the swag from the Paracast. You go to store.theparacast.com, stop by, and take a shopping tour. Trading involves financial risk. It is not suitable for all investors. Marijuana has unleashed a green gold rush across our nation. It's creating $10.8 billion in new wealth a year. And every day, it's transforming more and more Americans into millionaires. Former Speaker of the House John Boehner reveals how you could become one of them. Join him online for the American Cannabis Summit. Attendance is 100% free, but space is limited. Join online at www.acs2018.com. John Boehner and an esteemed panel will reveal which cannabis stocks are primed to deliver life-changing windfalls. Plus, they will show you how to become a cannabis angel investor, backing the hottest startups before they potentially become worth billions of dollars. To join the American Cannabis Summit, visit ACS2018.com or text JOIN to 76280. Don't miss this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Text JOIN to 76280. Text JOIN to 76280 now.
By now you know that wireless technology like cell phones do in fact pose dangers to the health and privacy of everyone. Blocket Pocket's wide range of products are unmatched in providing the protection you deserve. No scare tactics, just common sense. BlockitPocket.com offers quality American-made options to alleviate and eliminate these invisible dangers. Learn more at BlockitPocket.com or call 888-315-9618. BlockitPocket.com, enhancing health and privacy. Hello, this is Dr. Bill Deagle, MD of Nutramedical.com, announcing the breakthrough Red Deer Velvet DR. It delivers the protected building blocks of all organs and tissues, allowing your own stem cells as architects and engineers to regenerate you. Not since fetal life, when aging does not occur, has such an amazing Nutramed been available to help heal you and regenerate you. Anti-aging requires that you correct mineral, activate nutraceutical, and jump the gene defects and poor diet you have to deliver the cellular tools for regeneration. You must remove old damaged cells and replace them with your young healthy cells to wind the biological clock to a younger you. Order your Red Deer Velvet DR now at Nutramedical.com 24-7 or 888-212-8871. That's Nutramedical, N-U-T-R-I, medical, M-E-D-I-C-A-L.com. Or call our order line, 888-212-8871. Water is the single most important thing your body needs, so you want to be sure it's the purest for you and your family. For over 14 years, thousands have depended on Berkey Clean Water. The Berkey Guy has you covered at home, work, and on the go with water filtration systems of every size for every budget. Now, GCN listeners receive 10% off ceramic filter systems using code GCN at GoBerkey.com or call 877-886-3653. GoBerkey.com. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. Well, John Carradine did not speak, by the way, as Dracula with an accent. He appeared in House of Dracula and House of Frankenstein. And in neither case did he at all speak in anything but a mid-American stage English accent. Anyway. Well, but, good for him. I had a feeling that Bela Lugosi was probably speaking as he spoke off stage. Well, I also thought here, too, that the character of Dracula in the book, wouldn't it have been more like John Carradine in terms of appearance, kind of this very kind of somewhat thin, emaciated look. But let's get back to the cases that have been solved. I said, of course, that Aztec never survived much investigation. Well, I don't think course, it was ever standing, actually. I, I, I was just shocked at the revival of, of a case that has long struck me as just transparently bogus. Well, the read the book that was written, um, the more recent book that was written on the subject, and it was so lacking in evidence and a lot of filler. And then there was a new edition, because that was a self-published book. And the new edition didn't have much more to offer. In fact, I asked the author, could you tell me what's changed in the new edition of the book so I don't have to read the whole thing again? Because I read about half a chapter and read the same. And he could tell me. He said, well, there are a lot of changes. And I said, what are they? So let's talk about Roswell, because I think to some of us, the definitive book on Roswell was Roswell in the 21st Century 
where Kevin D. Randall was finding that a number of the pieces of evidence that seemed to be credible were less credible. What do you find explains Roswell now, Jerry? Okay, well, I wanted to say that I wrote a lacerating review of Scott Ramsey's Aztec book in the, in the Journal of Scientific Exploration some years ago. It's not a serious book. Now, there have been, as we know, many books written on Roswell, pro and con. And I agree with you that the definitive book on the subject, if you read one book on Roswell, it should be Kevin Randall's Roswell in the 21st Century, which is really a definitive book. One thing that gives it its power is that Randall is not a debunker. In fact, before this, he'd written pro-Roswell books. So this is a guy who is not just out there to debunk it, it doesn't have his mind made up. He's an intellectually honest guy whose mind changed as the evidence changed. And Kevin Randall found that some of the key informants, particularly those talking about bodies and in the wreckage, were lying. They were hoaxers. And moreover, this aspect of the story didn't even enter the story until the 1970s. The Roswell story that we were getting in recent decades was part of an evolving legend. And the evidence just grew thinner and thinner as, as, as time went by. And there were also a priori reasons to question it. For example, if something like this had happened, if a spaceship had crashed in July 1947, given this access to a remarkable advanced new technology, it would not have been possible to cover that. You could, recover, you could cover up the precipitating event, the crash of a spaceship, arguably. But you couldn't cover up the technological developments that would inevitably follow. We have a history of technology. We know where the devices that we use in our daily life, the technical devices, come from. They have a clear history. We have nothing in the history of technology that comes out of nowhere that is just completely inexplicable, like some kind of enormous breakthrough that we can't explain via previous technological developments. I want to ask you about that because I think it's very important because we have, of course, the day after Roswell, the Philip Corso, Bill Burns book, where such inventions as printed circuits and night vision goggles, which have a defined history that we all know about, were supposedly due to reverse engineered alien technology. On the other hand, would it be possible to some degree for reverse engineered technology to enhance what we know about something we're working on? And also, wouldn't it be possible for us to distort the history so that things seem to have been developed earlier than they really were, but they were really attributed to something no, I, from no, this? I don't, I don't think that's possible. Because these things are so incredibly documented with so much material that goes into technological development it is enormously documented documented beyond in you know almost our ability to comprehend and to fix that you have to to fake that you'd have to go in deep into conspiracy theory and i refuse to do that there's no reason to do it you know the the roswell story is a bunch of interesting stories whose precipitating event is still not entirely explained. We still don't know what happened in Roswell. Something happened. Something crashed. 
But I think by now we can be pretty certain that it was not an extraterrestrial spacecraft bearing a, an extraordinary advanced technology. We just don't know. Maybe one day we will. And, it, and the explanation will probably be interesting. But I think we can discard the from our space interpretation. Speaking of interesting, would that mean maybe a test aircraft or something of that nature? Something like that, yes. Sure. Now, the thing here to also bear in mind is the way this legend is propagated. Like, for example, Kevin Randall's book. I think on the part of many fellow researchers who had been following Roswell, landed like a thud. I thought it was a really, really good way to kind of wrap up Roswell for the time being, to realize that maybe something happened there, but it wasn't anything related to alien spacecraft. But we still have the same people writing the same stuff about this top-secret conspiracy to keep our knowledge of Roswell hidden. Of course, it's possible the government keeps things top secret because of secret aircraft and things like that they don't want us to know about. But I remember being pitched on a book, I think by Don Schmidt. And maybe I'm wrong. But I was pitched on a book from a publicist, and I said, what's new? What is new? What can you tell us that's going to give us more evidence, if there is any evidence, about Roswell, and I couldn't get an answer. It's kind of like Scott Ramsey's book where I asked Scott Ramsey, okay, you got a really professional published version of the book that you self-published, but you can't tell me what's changed other than it looks nicer and maybe they cleaned up the editing a little bit. But what is different? It's the same thing. You can't get the answers. But why are we still having Roswell conventions? Apparently, people want to continue believing in it. I don't. Uh, I think that if anything in ufology was destined for benign neglect, it's Roswell. I don't think that Roswell is one of those subjects. That if someone brings it up, my eyes glaze over because it's for exactly the reasons that you just said. There's nothing new, and there won't be anything new, at least in any foreseeable future. I'm sure. We'll go into that and more. We have Jerome Clark, who is the author of the third edition of the UFO Encyclopedia with some helpers. With Gene and Randall, you're in The Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Most of you know that heart disease is the number one silent killer in the U.S. What if I told you for just $54.95 a month you could fight against heart disease naturally? At Heart and Body Extract, we've been helping thousands of people get back to a healthier heart. Don't just take my word for it. Check out all of the success stories at hpextract.com. Or to order, call 866-295-5305. That's 866-295-5305. hpextract.com. Don't risk it when you can take charge of it. Hear that? That's the sound of a house being trashed while a gang of thieves ransack the place. And what they don't steal will be destroyed. This year, resolve not to be the next victim of a break-in. Go to faketv.com and discover a device that creates the illusion someone inside is watching TV, even when you're miles away. Security is a mindset, and fake TV should be part of your security solution. Be vigilant, but not fearful. faketv.com
USA Radio News. President Donald Trump on Saturday was in Northern California to see firsthand the grief and devastation from the deadliest U.S. wildfire in a century. Authorities confirmed at least 71 people are dead, and many people are still missing as they had to evacuate their home. President Trump in California on Saturday. I know uh, Gavin's committed, we're all committed, I'm committed to make sure that we get all of this uh, cleaned out and protected. Got to take care of the floors, you know, the floors of the forests, very important. Democrat Andrew Gillum officially conceded to Republican former Congressman Ron DeSantis in Florida's gubernatorial race as a recount of votes showed a margin Gillum was unlikely to close. WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange will not willingly travel to the United States to face charges filed under a seal against him. That's at least according to his attorney. Assange is currently in the Ecuadorian embassy in London. You're listening to USA Radio News. Got an old car? You can donate it, whether it's running or not, to the United Breast Cancer Foundation and save a life. They'll even come and pick it up for free. The United Breast Cancer Foundation has saved hundreds of women's lives through their free or low-cost breast screen exams. But now they need your help. The United Breast Cancer Foundation wants to save more lives through early detection by offering women free or low-cost breast screening exams. And donating your old car, SUV, or truck, whether it's running or not, helps pay for them. Plus, you get a charitable tax deduction. Help the United Breast Cancer Foundation save lives by donating your old car, SUV, or truck. Call now for free pickup. 800-280-2144-800-280-2144-800-280-2144. Call right now. That number again is 800-280-2144. Warning. If you're drowning in debt you can't afford, do not let the credit card companies trick you into thinking that you have to pay it all back because you don't. What the credit card companies don't want you to know is that there's actually a way to get debt-free without paying off your entire debt or going bankrupt. If you have $5,000 or more in credit card debt, you now have the right to let us settle that debt for a fraction of what you owe. For free information, call Credit Associates now. 1-800-959-5759. We'll even show you how much money you could save. If you can't afford to pay off all your debt, do not let the credit card companies trick you into thinking that you have to. Call Credit Associates now for free information on how to get debt-free faster than you ever thought possible without debt consolidation or bankruptcy. We depend on your success and offer a guarantee so there's no risk. For free information, call now. 1-800-959-5759. That's 1-800-959-5759. 1-800-959-5759. This is Marie D. Jones, the author of This Book is from the Future, and you are listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. I'm glad he ditched the Lugosi voice. We don't, no, I don't even want to try my Lugosi voice. Jerry, final visit there, unless we find something about what really happened at Roswell. That's the end of it. But if it was a secret aircraft after 70 years, why not just say that? Well, that's a really interesting question. And it may have a fairly banal answer. It may be that the records are lost, that the people involved in the project are long dead. And there's just no way to find it. It was just—it was really important at the time 
And of course, this was in the early days of the Cold War, and much was happening in terms of national defense, national security. And maybe what seemed really important, worth covering up at the time, just got lost and forgotten. And maybe that, or maybe there was some aspect that made the crash of the presumed vehicle politically trollsome. We just don't know. I mean, I would like to know. I think it'd be interesting. Would add to our understanding of the history that happened just after World War II. But I think that it's, it's just a curiosity of history at this point. It's nothing with which ufologists need to concern themselves. Ufologists have plenty of things to deal with. I don't think chasing you know, the myth of a Roswell spacecraft is one of them. At one point, I don't blame them for trying to figure out what, what happened. At first, it looked rather intriguing. But I think we've run this one to ground. Is there any crash case out there? that passes the smell test? I don't think so. I mean, there are stories where you talk with people and they seem sincere, but you have a long history of talking with people who seem sincere, but what they're saying doesn't make sense and it doesn't add up and doesn't stand up to scrutiny. And you can only speculate, you know, what really happened or what their motives are. But it just doesn't add up to anything. And we've just had so much experience with this by now that it's just, in the, in the UFO encyclopedia, I have a, wrote a long entry on crash retrieval lore. And some of these stories are interesting. I don't have any confidence that they mean anything other than people's memories, their, their experiences, however grounded or not grounded in reality. But there just is no reason to believe there are crash saucers. Well, I wish there were. That would be really interesting. And <laughs> at one time, I was more open-minded about it than I am now. But I think that at some point, we just have to acknowledge that this hasn't gone anywhere. Yeah, we don't have the verifiable, scientifically valid material evidence to prove that there was any sort of crashed alien craft. That's true. But with Roswell, at least we know something actually did happen. Yes. You know, I don't get the impression that Brazel and his son were lying about picking up actual bits of material and bringing it in. It's also true that the military went to considerable length to shut up the primary witnesses. That much seems established. But what isn't established is exactly what started all of this and what it was and why it was seemed so important to keep it secret. Right, and mogul doesn't seem to add up either, so... The mogul explanation is just bogus. Just, it's just a nothing burger. So, so what we have there is we still have a mystery, but I, I think it's like I would agree with you. We, it's not safe to simply jump to the conclusion that it was some sort of an alien craft. We don't necessarily know what it was at this point, and until we have more information, or they tell us about whatever that metal was that was recovered, was it really some sort of memory metal? Could it really not be cut with a torch or dented with a hammer? That sort of thing. Exactly. You know, what, when people ask me what Roswell was, or is, I say a curiosity of history. It's just something we something that happened we don't have a grip on yet. And so what we do, what we can do, is just eliminate hypothesis. And I think that for some time now, we have been able to eliminate the extraterrestrial hypothesis concerning the nature of the event. But 
can't explain the event itself. Well, if we can't explain it, how can we eliminate it then? I'm... Well, yeah, no, it's, you just, it works in the way that you test a hypothesis. Something happens that requires an explanation, and you test one hypothesis after another to explain what's happened, that this is the way science works, the way historical inquiry works. And just because we can't explain Roswell doesn't mean that all possibilities are still open. In fact, the one explanation that has been the most rigorously and fully investigated is the idea that it was a spaceship. And now I think the evidence suggests that it was no such thing. It's the other hypotheses that might be worth giving the same attention that we gave the extraterrestrial hypothesis, such as that it was some kind of secret aircraft that had some particular quality that caused officials to want to classify it and threaten people who might talk about it. That's the next hypothesis we should be investigating if we want to pay any attention to Roswell, but we don't necessarily do it as ufologists. People can do it as aerospace historians, Cold War historians, historians of technology. There are other approaches to it. The, the one approach that hasn't gotten us anywhere is the extraterrestrial one. Right, but if it is a craft, so we've got, okay, if it's made by humans, it's an advanced craft of some kind. Well, we don't know that it was made by humans, so why is it safe to rule out that it wasn't made by humans? What, what evidence is there that it wasn't made by humans? Are, There's, you say, are you saying that because we have no evidence, we can speculate that it was by extraterrestrials? I'm saying that we have plenty of evidence that it wasn't by extraterrestrials. That's the hypothesis we can eliminate by now. What's the evidence that it wasn't? It seems more that that's like a lack of evidence that it was. And, uh, you know, Friedman would say something to the effect that... Uh, yeah, I know. And you can say the same about Santa Claus. The absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. Right. Apply that to Santa Claus. That's something frivolous. There was an official Air Force release. We think it's pretty reasonable to believe that Brazel and his son did collect material along with the army went out there and collected material, that it was classified as secret. Uh, there's some pretty s suspicious stuff about it. So if we say that, okay, well, how did all that stuff get there if it was some sort of craft? And if we think it's reasonable to believe that they described the markings as something that wasn't in our language or that they recognized, okay, maybe it was Cyrillic or something else, Russian, I don't know, but you would think that people might even recognize that. So there was some strange markings. The materials properties were said to be different, not explainable by current technology that was known at the time. Then again, you know, maybe if it was a secret project, okay, maybe we made it. But then we're still talking about some kind of a craft. And we can't be sure we made it. And it had these unusual properties. So how can we be so sure okay. someone else Here, didn't make here's it? Here's how you answer that question. You say, where does the story of the bodies come from? Because the bodies make it conclusive that this is from not from the earth. You have not human bodies found amid the refuge. It turns out that from all available evidence, literally nobody was talking about bodies in 1947. That all the evidence to that effect begins to emerge, the evidence in scare quotes, emerges in the 1970s from people's memories and also from the people who are lying about their memories. 
If you could find contemporary evidence, in other words, in July 1947, the summer of 1947, or within some reasonable period of weeks and months thereafter, that somebody was making the claim that there were unusual otherworldly bodies associated with the craft in 1947 and 1948, then you'd have a case that this was a spaceship. Let's do our break. We got Jerome Clark, Randall and Jean, you're in the Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Do you need a website? Well, you can get a great deal on hosting services with Namecheap's legendary coupon code. They're offering substantial hosting discounts on shared hosting, business hosting, VPS hosting, reseller hosting, and even dedicated servers. Namecheap is preferred by millions. It's backed by a money-back guarantee. Use the coupon code LEGENDARY to cash in on the special deal at Namecheap.com, Namecheap.com. First came Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there is the coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream. A dream that turns out to be a nightmare, because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and the coming of the Protectors. Find out more at Rockoids.com. That's Rockoids, R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S, dot com. Anytime, any place, anywhere, radio remains the most intimate of all forms of media. At home, at work, in the car, on smartphones. Over 90% of consumers still listen to radio every week. That makes choosing radio as a place to advertise your business one of the best decisions you can make. Email advertise at GCNlive.com and partner up with an experienced GCN representative. Advertise at GCNlive.com. Easy, affordable, effective. Homemakers. Groceries by mail ships free. Try our amazing bacon. It stores in your pantry. No refrigeration required. Our value-added packaging provides a 10-year shelf life and protects the leanest, thickest, center-cut, fully-cooked bacon in America today. Ready to eat right from the pouch or warm and serve. Always price less than grocery for your everyday use. Savory and delicious. Order today at readytoeatbacon.com. Readytoeatbacon.com. In these uncertain times, it makes sense to have a sustainable backup method to cook food and boil water. If your current plan includes using a fuel-burning stove or cooking over an open fire, then there's a much better way. The Miniman Rocket Stove is a biomass-burning cooking stove that only requires small quantities of sticks and twigs for fuel. The Miniman Stove is easy to use, smokeless, portable, powerful, and sustainable. For the finest in survival cooking stoves and fire starters made right here in the USA, go to MinutemanStove.com. That's MinutemanStove.com. Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, the inventor of MyPillow. And like all of you out there, I had problems sleeping. Pillows would go flat. I would flip-flop all night long. I would wake up with a sore neck, maybe a headache, or feel like I needed a nap even though I slept eight hours. When I invented MyPillow, I wanted it to where you could move the patented fill to give you the exact support you need as an individual, regardless of sleep position. MyPillow will get you into that deep REM sleep faster, and you will stay there longer. It's not about how much time we spend in bed. It's about how much of that quality sleep we get. I do 
all of my own manufacturing right here in the United States. I have a 10-year warranty. You can wash and dry my pillow, and I give you a 60-day money-back guarantee so you have nothing to lose. And here's my best offer ever. You can buy one of my pillows and get one absolutely free. Go to MyPillow.com or call 800-870-0305 and use promo code GCN. That's MyPillow.com or 800-870-0305 with promo code GCN. Hi, I'm Dan Pilla. I started fighting the IRS over 40 years ago when they tried to seize my mother's house. I sued the IRS and won. I beat the IRS then, and I've been beating them ever since. I wrote the book on tax debt settlement, and I've helped thousands of people deal with tax problems they thought might never be solved. I can help you too. If you owe taxes you can't pay, don't wait another day. There's no such thing as a hopeless tax case. Call 800-34-NO-TAX or go to my website, danpilla.com. That's danpilla.com, danpilla.com. This is Robert Hastings, author of UFOs and Nukes, and you're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. So the point that Jerome Clark is raising about Roswell is that in 1947, there was no contemporaneous evidence. We had the story in the newspaper that went out over the wire services. They recover a flying disc, and it's really a balloon, and that's the end of it until... 30 years later. Of course, we also have that situation to a lesser extent with Aztec, where we had somebody on after the Paracast, Monty Shriver, an engineer and professor, I believe, and he had gone back to a class reunion in Aztec, New Mexico, and nobody had any memory of anything, which is even worse than Roswell, where at least you had memories 30 years later. Jerry? Yeah, well... Unfortunately, as I said, many of these memories are just simply demonstrably untrue. People jumped on the bandwagon and contributed to the story. Now, there are other people who seem to be more truthful than the hoaxers, and they claim memories going back to 1947. But you can't document that you can't trace these stories with contemporary testimony. Testimony, in other words, back in the summer of 1947 talking about bodies. The body stories don't emerge into Roswell testimony until the 1970s. That's kind of moving the goalposts a bit, though. I mean, you know, okay, so we can write off quite a bit of the evidence, so-called evidence in terms of testimony, and but we're still left with this residual amount that is puzzling. And if it still represents some sort of a crash of an object, how can we be sure we can rule out that it wasn't some sort of an alien craft. That's all I'm saying. I still haven't. I still don't see that part. Well, all I'm saying is that show me that in the late 1947, in late 1940s, somebody was talking about alien bodies and wrote it down. So we have a contemporary record. Why doesn't the story about bodies emerge until all that the Roswell story itself reemerges, and um, all of a sudden? There's a whole lot added to the story than was there. If you can show me that there's contemporary evidence, and that's not at all unreasonable to ask for, of bodies in 1947, and documentable evidence, documentable testimony from 1947 to 1948, that bodies were seen, 
then we really have an interesting question to pursue. Until that happens, it looks very much as if testimony about bodies emerged as the legend grew. And this is the way legends work. They grow oh, over sure. time. Sure, but maybe it was just a space probe. Maybe there were no bodies. That wouldn't make it any less interesting, really, yeah. to me. You know, I mean, an I mean, alien craft I, I of mean, any that, kind that, would that be amazing. True, but, but demonstrate to me that it was any kind of extraterrestrial spacecraft bodies or no bodies with evidence stronger than what we have now. I'll reboard the Roswell train, but until that happens, I'm going to be skeptical. It seems to me there are more productive things that we could pay attention to. Okay, and also, yeah, as I that's said, fair. there's the a priori problem of technological evolution and the fact that there's no, there are no leaps of technological development beginning in July 1947 that we can't otherwise account for. It just seems to me that I have a lot of interest in folklore, aside from my interest in UFOs. You know, I know how folktales grow and how they work, and this looks like a folktale. You know, I'd be glad to be proved wrong, but it doesn't look after all this time that that's going to happen. But if right. it does, I'll be thrilled. I've talked to people who are professors and mythology and stuff. Uh, we've got one of our, our members uh, from USI, he's a professor down in Hawaii, and he would say that there tends to be certain elements of truths mixed in with the mythology and folklore. I mean, that doesn't mean we can believe everything, but it's not simply just always made up out of pure fantasy. That is entirely correct, and I always point out to people that just because something is called folklore, that is not a synonym for fiction. Folklore generally or often has some element, some precipitating experience or event or something that happened in the world on which a larger, more imaginative narrative is constructed. And that's what we're talking about with Roswell. We all agree that something happened, that there was some precipitating event. But what I maintain, and I think that this is the argument that Kevin Randall makes, which I find persuasive, is, is that, um, the, that there was an event that we still don't really understand, but an enormous amount of fiction and imaginative narrative grew around it. And uh, so we're talking about the way folktales work. Oh, sure. That's entirely fair. Um... I think we can go that far. I was just, I, I just can't make the further leap that we can completely write off the idea that it was, you know, something alien because we still don't know that. So, but up to that point, yeah, absolutely. I think we can say the same thing about the airship wave. When we start looking at that, you might want to comment on the sort of the yellow journalism that was going on in the day. And the skeptics will say, well, these were just papers that were looking for uh, subscribers. Yeah, I, I don't know how many times I've written exactly that in my writing about the, the airship phenomenon. It's worth noting, however, that the, the airship phenomenon was international in scope. And there were specific problems with loose standards of journalism in late 19th century America. But there also were reports that seemed verifiable, that were described accurately, that were first-hand testimony by named witnesses whose existences we have been able to document. And in the foreign press, the, the British press, the press of Australia and New Zealand, where there isn't this kind of wild and woolly character, 
they're describing exactly the same things that people in the American Midwest and in Texas and elsewhere are reporting. And in fact, I was able to investigate from this perspective from the 21st century, some late 19th century reports that are really rather extraordinary and document that the people existed, that they were people who had three solid reputations. One of them was a was a prominent rabbi in South Texas who reportedly encountered the occupants of an airship. And you can investigate these. And also, they were recorded contemporaneously. It was not like somebody telling you 50, 60, 70 years later, reconstructing something that he believed happened to him. These are people who are reporting this to the newspapers or writing letters to the editor. In other words, recording these stories as they happen. Now, there is exaggeration. There were stories that you encountered that were clearly not even meant to be taken seriously. They were constructed in the editorial offices of newspapers. I've been studying this thing since the mid-1960s. So I spent an enormous amount of time studying the press of the period. And you get a pretty good sense about it. But it was really exciting to me when I was able to document one of the most puzzling sightings that the coverage in, in April 1897 was telling you more than it realized it was telling you. And it made it investigatable. And in about 10 years ago, I investigated it. And it's a very puzzling story. And it, to me, shows probably what was happening in those days, that, that the nature of it. And I was able to construct a hypothesis about the nature of the 1897 experiences from that. That sounds really uh, fascinating. And is that included in this updated version of the UFO Encyclopedia? Yes. Yeah, Fabulous. There, there's an entry in it called uh, Airship Sightings in the 19th Century. And there's a, a section in there on the Wilson sightings involving an aeronaut named Wil Wilson. And I go into that and about my research and finding who the witnesses were and what their backgrounds were. I was able to demonstrate that one of the, 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 the principal witness, that the incident, he died two years later, but the incident remained in his memory and apparently obsessed him until he died. The memory of seeing this airship landing and interacting with the with the occupants of the of the, of the craft. So even these... some of the most extraordinary sightings seem at least true to the reporter's experience. These involved humanoids, right? People that were essentially the same as us, from what I they I... weren't humanoids; they were humans. They yeah, like exactly. Anyway. Yeah, you, they were indistinguishable from us if they were aliens. So, I mean, that kind of suggests if there really were these craft that there was some sort of maybe private uh, company or rich people, you know, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen or something. What? How does that work out? What's your theory on it? Let's hear it. Let's have the theory in our next segment, okay? League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, last film that Sean Connery did, right? More to come with Jerry, Gene, and Randall. You're in the Paracast. You are listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today.
Attack of the Rockoids has been well received by critics and readers alike. It's a thrill a minute story you'll never forget. A former U.S. military intelligence officer is haunted by intense dreams about a beautiful woman pleading for his help after a terrible battle in outer space. But the dreams turn out to be true and thrust him into a telepathic love affair with a woman whose faraway planet is intent on destroying the Earth. And now the gripping tale continues in The Coming of the Protectors. It's the second book of the Rockoids trilogy, a galaxy-spanning adventure that pits our hapless heroes against powerful, fanatical enemies that threaten the lives of freedom-loving beings everywhere. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors, classic science fiction at its best, available now. For more details, visit rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Have you checked your Google search results lately? Search results are usually the first impression that people form of you or your business. So make sure that they create a positive impression with ReputationDefender.com. What the Internet says about you can have a big impact on your life and your livelihood, even if it's not true. Fortunately, you can now control how you look online and in online search results with ReputationDefender.com. Call 800-831-0771 now. That's 800-831-0771 for your free reputation analysis. If you have negative material from an ex-employee, upset patient, or former client, newspaper article, legal issue, social media, or other source showing up in your search results, you can combat it with ReputationDefender.com. Our dedicated experts in patented technology can help make your online search results look their best. Call 800-831-0771 to learn more. 800-831-0771. That's 800-831-0771. Or visit ReputationDefender.com. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. Bond, James Bond. And that's the only imitation I do. It's very bad. But wasn't League of Extraordinary Gentlemen the last film that Sean Connery did before he retired? I'm not sure. Wasn't it Finding Forrester or something? Or... Or was that before or after? I forget. That was before. Anyway, Jerry, you started an answer to Randall's yeah, could there, comment. Could there have been some League of Extraordinary Gentlemen or something along those lines that could have made these things? You're talking conspiracy theory now. This was something that happened on the experience level. That if you want to bring it into the event level, then you're bringing in all kinds of complications that just kind of overload the senses and overload all all common sense there there were there just were no dirigibles in the united states in the late 1890s in fact heavier than air flight came to the united states before dirigibles and um but people were anticipating the appearance of powered flight in other words aviation technology beyond balloons where you could actually be inside a craft and control it. And those, those were dirigibles. Those were like powered balloons. But they existed in Europe. They didn't exist in the United States, and they didn't come to the United States until after the Wright brothers. So it was actually heavier than air flight in the United States before there were dirigibles. And all 
also this was an international phenomenon where dirigibles were these airships were seen and experienced in places where dirigibles didn't exist. People who saw the occupants and some people interacted with them, and the occupants claimed to be ordinary people who had inventions that they were going to take to the patent office and make a fortune of, and they were going to start a an airship transportation service to compete with the railroads. It never happened, and the people who were experienced as airship occupants gave names like Wilson, and people like that never existed. There have been enormous efforts to find and document the existence of these people. They didn't exist. So for a long time, ufologists thought, well, all these sightings of aeronauts, these encounters with airship crews, have to be hoaxes. And I thought that for a long time, too, until I investigated this one case, and I realized, no, this does not look like hoax in any regard. And so maybe some of the others, at least some of them, not all of them, of course, are probably true to people's experience. Now, when I say true to experience, that's a qualification, because I don't think these encounters were occurring at event-level reality, but they were occurring at experience-level reality, where they took on the coloration of real events, even if they weren't. Let's unpack that a little bit. Like, are you talking hallucination here? No. Okay, so what do you mean by that exactly? When we talk about high strangeness experiences, and these are certainly high strangeness, they don't have to occur in some kind of binary system with reality on one hand and imagination on the other. They're occurring apparently in some liminal state in which those boundaries are erased and that it's like they're imaginary, but they're not only imaginary. It's kind of like imagination plus. And so they they occur in liminal or threshold space that they have the appearance of consensus reality without the substance of uh, consensus experience. And this is where all weird encounters occur. They don't seem to be happening on the event level, even though people who experience them don't have a mental framework. They're like all of us. They are in binary thinking. It's it's A or it's B. Well, there's no evidence that there's something in between. That's why. I mean, there is, is, we either have something that's material or we have something that is conceptual. So if you've got something... So, so there, there's no erasing of those boundaries. And what do you mean by evidence? By evidence, I mean that we have evidence of material things because we have the materials for it. So if we see something like a craft that is material, we can go up to it and we can identify the materials that it's made out of. That, that, that's what binary thinking tells us. Yes, it's physical or it's not. What if it's neither? The experience anomaly... What evidence is there that it's neither? There's no evidence for that. Define evidence. Just think about what evidence might comprise in experience anomaly. An experience is something that we have on a psychological level. That's understood. So in the absence, what we're saying here, what you're suggesting, at least what it sounds like to me, is that in the event, shall we call it, is something that is something between the psychological and the material. 
Therefore, what if something has characteristics of both? It doesn't exist within the binary system of the real, quote unquote, and the imagined. What if something takes on the characteristics of both? In experience anomaly, the evidence is memory and testimony. And it's massive memory, it is massive testimony over the entirety of human experience. As long as there have been human beings, human beings have been describing otherworldly experiences. And the ordinary explanations that we apply to these things, well, mistake or imagination or lie, don't apply. And this is why the debate about the extraordinary has been stalemated for so long because people insist that it's one or the other when it's manifestly neither. Well, how do you know that? Because I don't see that it can be any other way. Like, if you can explain know, how because, it's possible. Because you, you cannot bring yourself out of binary thinking. And this is the problem that we have in dealing with this stuff, because we're all impressed from the birth that things are A or B. There's no category C. But category C is being demonstrated around us all the time. That how? Pe by people's experiences of things that don't physically exist in the world, but that are nonetheless vividly experienced and require an explanation that is better than those that have been proposed traditionally by human beings trying to explain them by putting them in one category or another when neither applies. Well, it seems to me that a psychological explanation perfectly explains the experience of something that isn't materially real. Okay, well, where's the difference? Unfortunately, it doesn't, although psychological explanations are always applied to these things when all else fails, and all else fails. So you put in the psychological explanation, even if it doesn't really work, even if it def defies ordinary psychological understanding, and then you say, you've got it explained. But you don't. What you've demonstrated only is how deeply anomalous the experience was. Many experience anomalies occur to more than one person at a time. They're not subjective in the way a hallucination or a dream would be. They have aspects of hallucinatory and subjective experience, but they go beyond that because they can be experienced by multiple people at a time. That alone takes them out of ordinary psychological categories. Well, I guess we'd have to define what's ordinary. Read the literature on hallucinations, and you will see they don't explain experience anomalies. Experience anomalies are in a whole other category of their own. If you read literature, for example, on um, religious experiences and people's encounters with angels or divine beings and so on, in the um, scholarly literature on that subject, which is fairly massive by now, you will read exactly the things that I'm talking about right now discussed. And well, my sure. concept of experience <laughs> anomalies is now being discussed in, in uh, the literature of sociology and psychology and religious studies. There, sure. There's been a long understanding that there was a category of experience that didn't fit into the ordinary categories. Well, that's, it, that may be and true. And the dynamics are what, you know, I, have, have interested me for some years now, which I've written about, you know, not voluminously. Let's have that response after. 
Jerry, Gene, and Randall, you're in. The Paracast. Neighbors, we've made such a deal with HelloFresh, and it means that everyone listening to this show can receive $30 off your first week of deliveries when you go to HelloFresh.com and use the offer code PARACAST30. You know, with HelloFresh, you can choose the delivery day that works best for you. They've got a wide variety of chef-curated recipes that change weekly. And can you imagine me cooking Japanese panko chicken? It makes me feel like I'm a chef. It means also that you could actually get your meal cooked in 30 minutes. For busy people, this is perfect. The simple recipes include step-by-step instructions so even I can figure it out. Go to HelloFresh.com, use the offer code PARACAST30 to get $30 off your first week of deliveries. HelloFresh.com. Trading involves financial risk. It is not suitable for all investors. Marijuana has unleashed a green gold rush across our nation. It's creating $10.8 billion in new wealth a year. And every day, it's transforming more and more Americans into millionaires. Former Speaker of the House John Boehner reveals how you could become one of them. Join him online for the American Cannabis Summit. Attendance is 100% free, but space is limited. Join online at www.acs2018.com. John Boehner and an esteemed panel will reveal which cannabis stocks are primed to deliver life-changing windfalls. Plus, they will show you how to become a cannabis angel investor, backing the hottest startups before they potentially become worth billions of dollars. To join the American Cannabis Summit, visit ACS2018.com or text JOIN to 76280. Don't miss this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Text JOIN to 76280. Text JOIN to 76280 now. Would you like to get back that full head of hair from years past? Now, there is Reveal. Beverly Hills celebrity dermatologist Dr. Nathan Newman took nearly a decade to develop Reveal from natural botanicals to return to a full-body head of hair. Reveal for men and women with a 30-day money-back guarantee at GCNLife.com or toll-free 844-443-6637. 844-443-6637. Reveal at GCNLife.com. Attention parents and grandparents, have you ever wanted to give a gift that would have lasting value and provide spiritual benefits long after Christmas is over? A gift you could even call an investment in the next generation? If so, this is going to be the single most important message you'll hear this holiday season. Hi, I'm Bill Hyde, and I want to tell you about an exciting gift, one you can give your kids or grandkids that's going to teach Christian history, build up their faith, provide extraordinary role models, and it's all done with a distinctive Christian worldview. I'm talking about the award-winning Movies for the Mind CD sets based on the extraordinary adventures of G.A. Henty audio series. The best part? You can finally give a Christian gift to the kids that's not boring, dull, or cheesy. The audio adventures also build vocabulary, focus, and attention span. But they're not sold in stores, and you can't get the adventures at any big internet retailers either. So to learn more, even get below wholesale pricing and a whole bunch of Christmas bonuses, go to GiveTheAdventure.com. That's GiveTheAdventure.com. The perfect gift for kids of all ages from 6 to 100. Go to GiveTheAdventure.com. 
Anytime, any place, anywhere. Radio remains the most intimate of all forms of media. At home, at work, in the car, on smartphones. Over 90% of consumers still listen to radio every week. That makes choosing radio as a place to advertise your business one of the best decisions you can make. Email advertise at GCNlive.com and partner up with an experienced GCN representative. Advertise at GCNlive.com. Easy, affordable, effective. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. As you know, we sometimes have to break for a piece of business. We regret that because Jerry was in the middle of espousing a point. Go ahead, please. Well. There is a growing body of scholarly literature on anomalies that is actually pretty good, that is much more thoughtful and much more willing to confront the phenomena in question head-on, rather than dodge around them with explanations that don't explain. There is The ideas that I'm explaining here, I've worked out in my own way, applying to specific categories of anomalies, but other Scholars who are not necessarily associated with ufology or, or anomalistics or Fortean studies have raised the same kinds of questions and grappled with them in the way I am. That we will never get beyond the stalemated debate about anomalies. Either they are or they aren't until we concede that maybe we're just framing the question wrong and there are other possibilities. That's what I'm suggesting. Oh, I have no problem with uh, the idea that we might be framing the problem in a way that isn't able to explain it, and therefore we should look for alternatives. But I think the alternatives need to make a certain amount of sense, given what we know about the world, and the idea that there's some sort of existence that happens between the conceptual and the material is a little bit farther out there than I think most people are willing to go. Well, that's, that's exactly the point. We think we understand the world, but what if we don't understand everything that goes on in the world? And we clearly don't understand everything that goes on in the world because we never have. All of history has people in it, authority figures who said, no, this couldn't happen. This didn't happen. This is impossible. Only to learn later that, yes, there are things that happen in the world rules that govern events and experiences that are much more puzzling than we think they are. And I think that if you went to talk with religious scholars, for example, Jeffrey Kripal or folklorists like David Huffer and talk with people like that and told them that it just couldn't possibly be that there's a category that is neither is occurring neither at event level nor at a purely imaginary level, they would say no. All of human experience attests to this, to liminality, to the experience of the liminal. In fact, that's why liminal was invented as a word, to account for experiences that couldn't be put in any other category, but seemed to partake of the real and the unreal at once. And as I say, all of human experience attests to that. People's encounters with extraordinary entities, otherworldly journeys, all kinds of things that are happening on a vivid level to people ordinarily judge sane and sincere, for which 
No explanation works. The literal explanation doesn't work. The purely imaginary explanation doesn't work. But there are other possibilities. And if you say that it couldn't possibly be that there is such a state as liminality, well, then you're having to just check off a whole lot of human experience over many centuries. Well, I I wouldn't say that we have to lop off liminality. Liminality speaks to the point of conscious awareness, and I think anyone who's consciously aware would have to admit that our consciousness exists. However, consciousness is not something that is the same as an objective material object. That's my point. These things, there are many things that people experience that are neither here nor there. They're not in one category or another, but they have characteristics of both. But you can't explain them by either. Well, then, see, if we were to look at that logically, then, hypothetically, we should be able to erase the experiencer, the person who is having the conscious event from the event. And we should be able to erase the material side of it from the event. And we should be left with something in the middle that exists objectively separate from either one, if you know what I'm saying. If that's not the case, then the event must be caused by some sort of consciousness. Okay. Again, you're engaged in binary thinking, which is understandable because almost everybody thinks that way. No, I'm not engaged in binary thinking. I'm engaged in something called critical thinking. There's a difference. So, so am I in point of fact. And, <laughs> okay. and, and through critical thinking, which I've not ordinarily accused of lacking, I have come to the conclusion, as have other people who have studied this, that what is going on in extraordinary or anomalous events is not place is not containable within ordinary categories. We have to find a new way of thinking about it. Otherwise, we're going to spend the rest of eternity debating nothing. We're just not going to get anywhere, because if it has to be A or B, I think by now we know that it's probably not A or B, because everybody has presumed that these experiences are one or the other, and they don't seem to be. So you get a lot of claims that extraordinary entities exist in the world when there's really no physical evidence that they exist in the world. Or we get lousy, prosaic explanations that don't really work. And there's a huge literature on that as well, that just our inability to apply ordinary evidence and ordinary thinking to intractable questions about extraordinary phenomena. In fact, there is a a long entry in the current UFO encyclopedia written by uh, Brad Sparks called Debunking and Debunkery, A Skeptical History, where he examines attempts over time to explain UFO sightings through prosaic thinking and showing how these explanations not only don't work, but actually defy the laws of science as we understand them. If we want to go somewhere, we can't just keep falling back into the same old arguments that haven't gotten us anywhere. Yeah, but we also shouldn't be willing to leap to uh, conclusions that are only weakly supported. I don't see the substance behind the claim. First of all, I did not leap to this conclusion. This conclusion came after a lifetime of study, and it was after I put it out there in a book and later in some magazine articles, that I was approached 
by some people, including some fairly prominent academics, saying, oh, yes, now you're getting somewhere. And then they have shown me other writings by scholars who I hadn't read who are thinking the same way and suggesting the same thing. The kinds of ideas that I'm expressing were not leaped at. They were not because I'm weak-minded. These are ideas that are out there. Oh, no, I'm not. I'm not. You're one of the finest researchers out there. You're, you're like who I suggest to go to for reference. So, so we're having a discussion about a particular topic that is quite deep. We're got, we've dove into the deep end here right away. So what I'm trying to do is actually understand where you're coming from by a process my process of critical thinking and what I know, and I'm fairly well read about what goes on and what we're dealing with is philosophical questions that go back thousands of years that deal with existence and what that is. You know what? So, Let's do a break. Breaking here with Jerome Clark, Gene Steinberg, Randall Murphy. You're in the Paracast. <laughs> for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. Hear that? That's the sound of a house being trashed while a gang of thieves ransack the place. And what they don't steal will be destroyed. This year, resolve not to be the next victim of a break-in. Go to faketv.com and discover a device that creates the illusion someone inside is watching TV, even when you're miles away. Security is a mindset, and fake TV should be part of your security solution. Be vigilant, but not fearful. Faketv.com. Hunters, anglers, campers, and survivalists. Get back to nature. Expand your horizons with the highest quality, most versatile, unique slingshots and slingbows on the market at slingbow.com. Slingbow products are compact and models start from just $17.98. They're perfect for your bug out bag or storing in your vehicle. Give yourself and your loved ones the excitement and tradition of slingbow. A new frontier in archery and truly modern twist on this primitive survival tool. Feel the thrill only at slingbow.com. USA Radio News. President Donald Trump on Saturday was in Northern California to see firsthand the grief and devastation from the deadliest U.S. wildfire in a century. Authorities confirmed at least 71 people are dead and many people are still missing as they had to evacuate their home. President Trump in California on Saturday. I know uh, Gavin's committed, we're all committed, I'm committed to make sure that we get all of this uh, cleaned out and protected. Got to take care of the floors, you know, the floors of the forest. It's very important. Democrat Andrew Gillum officially conceded to Republican former Congressman Ron DeSantis in Florida's gubernatorial race as a recount of votes showed a margin Gillum was unlikely to close. WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange will not willingly travel to the United States to face charges filed under a seal against him. That's at least according to his attorney. Assange is currently in the Ecuadorian embassy in London. You're listening to USA Radio News. Money! 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 Money. You gotta have it. When you need it, what do you do? If you don't have a rich uncle, call LendingTree. With us, hundreds of banks compete for your business, so you'll get loans with competitive interest rates, and in some cases, with no closing costs. So here's the deal. If you need money, call us. Do you want to refinance your current loan? Are you 62 or older and interested in a reverse mortgage? 
Then call Lending Tree now. 800-634-1315. 800-634-1315. We've closed over $250 billion in loans. We know what we're doing and can help you. Call right now for a free quote. 800-634-1315 That's 800-634-1315 NMLS number 1136 Individuals and businesses with tax problems listen carefully. Do you feel like you're losing control over your finances? If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services and take advantage of the Fresh Start program and new laws that may allow us to negotiate a settlement for the lowest amount possible. Our team of tax attorneys and enrolled agents can stop collections and get you protected so you can take control of your financial future. Tax Mediation Services is accredited by the Better Business Bureau. Call now for a free case review and a price protection guaranteed quote. Call Tax Mediation Services now at 800-301-5435. That's 800-301-5435. 800-301-5435. Hi, this is Bryce Abel. I'm the producer of Dark Skies, the co-author of AD After Disclosure, and you are listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. You're in the middle of a question and a comment, Randall. Would you please proceed? Sure. So these questions are valid. There's no doubt about it. What we've got is that the dualistic approach, what you call bi- the binary thinking, where we've got either a conceptual or a subjective experience, or we've got something that's objective out in the world. And that seems to be logically the two ends of the spectrum, where you're saying you can have something in between. Okay, we can say there are out of the ordinary things that take place. I'm the first to admit that strange things happen. However, if we're saying that something can happen in between the subjective and the material, then logically we should be able to erase both sides, the subjective and the material, and still have something left in between that we, is identifiable, that we well, can in fact, get our hands on. How do we do that? In fact, we actually do. That's a, you raise a very interesting point that I thought about and actually written about. And that is that what happens is that sometimes you do have a kind of physical evidence. You don't have a body, but you might have footprints, or you might have hair. And in apparent confirmation that you saw something that was on a different level of reality. But when you take that evidence, supposed evidence, to try to use it to validate your experience, it doesn't go anywhere. It proves to be ambiguous at best, or not what it appears to be. But part of the experience anomaly is on occasion, there is ambiguous physical pseudo-evidence that tries to bring your experience into consensus reality. 
but can't carry it there. What okay, process would be behind that? Well, it's obviously one beyond current knowledge. The difference between an event anomaly and an experience anomaly, an event anomaly occurs in consensus reality and is provable or potentially provable. That, for example, if you encounter an unusual animal that exists in some obscure corner of the ecosystem, if it's there as a biological entity, you or somebody will be able to prove its existence in the world. Extraordinary entities, which are of all kinds, they include UFO aliens, fairies, divine beings, things that people experience vividly, not as hallucinations, but as things that seem to be there in the world but actually aren't. The event anomaly is in the realm of the unexplained. The, the experience anomaly is in the realm of the inexplicable. It's the difference between the unexplained and the inexplicable because the event anomaly tra so transcends current knowledge that it's hard even to talk about. We don't even really have a vocabulary for it because it is so counterintuitive and so outside our ordinary way of organizing information and knowledge and hypotheses. And yet, experience anomalies occur to people all the time. Okay, what do you think of this idea then, Jerome? Uh, and maybe you've had some musings along the same lines then. If, if I'm getting the drift here right about what you're suggesting, what we have is a person who is having an experience. And that experience then, if it's going to manifest in some way that is separate from the experiencer, but not in a way that is in our, what we're used to in terms of material reality, it implies that there is a third element out there that we have to identify what it is that is responsible for receiving the impressions of the experiencer and then projecting them back out into our reality in a way that is somewhere in between the two. So we're dealing with the third processing. If, this if, is sometimes called the middle kingdom. This is a term that students of folklore and anthropologists coin to characterize these liminal experiences that they would learn from their informants in the field or on occasion experience themselves. So they, they invented this thing of the third kingdom or the middle kingdom. This is what you're talking about. This is what I, when I say A, B, and C, I mean C. In my UFO encyclopedia, the current edition, this was not in the earlier editions, but there's an entry in there called Experience Analysis, where I briefly describe this idea and show how others have dealt with it. Later in one paragraph, which has a couple of quotes in it. In the current century, Amid a revival of scholarly interest in fairy lore, commentators have adopted something of a more open-ended or ironic view. Quoting, it should be possible to believe one's informants without believing their explanation. That's a quote from a couple of Scottish folklorists who wrote a book on Scottish fairy lore a few years ago. In another, I'm quoting somebody else, fairies may or may not dwell in Worcestershire, but there's no question that people still see them. What they mean is that, yeah, these people are sincere, and they had what they thought was that experience, and an experience that's difficult 
to explain otherwise. But it does not amount to proof that fairy lore or UFO realms or whatever other world you want to imagine exists in a literal sense. We experience the otherworldly through consciousness. It's filtered through consciousness that usually otherworldly experiences, the way that they manifest in our experience comes from the culture, our Pacific cultural idea of the otherworldly. That it doesn't mean that you yourself are wrapped up in the lore of the otherworldly, but the culture that you, you live in, if it has an idea of the otherworldly, you will experience that way. For example, you will experience, if you lived in the west of Ireland in the 19th century, you would have a certain kind of experience of the otherworldly. In our time, we have another experience of the otherworldly, because our idea of the otherworldly is the extraterrestrial. So our experience anomalies take on the guise of extraterrestrial entities. In the west of Ireland in the 19th century, they took on the guise of little people with magical powers. Well, sure. Social and cultural conditioning is fairly well understood but by psychology. Well, not, not people's experiences of the other world are not explained by psychology. People's ex- expectations may be experienced. Exactly. But if you, study, if you study the literature of fairy lore, in the, there are many books written on by anthropologists and uh, folklorists. They were just frankly baffled by this testimony, which is really, much of it is quite impressive. Even if you can't bring yourself to believe in fairies, you'd have to believe in something that is also quite extraordinary and unlikely, and that is that multiply and independently experienced hallucinations. What goes on in experience anomalies is far beyond what goes on in hallucinations, which are fairly well understood, subjective, and confined to a single individual. Well, I guess that depends on some of the, I mean, people who are into hallucinogenics and having experiences with certain kinds of, well, maybe in the past, it seems like hallucinogens have been a part of culture. So, you know, I think you're just kind of, well, I mean, that is fairly factual. Show me some evidence that these things arise from people's taking hallucinogens, and I'll believe you. There's no evidence. This was part of people's experience. They had a particular understanding of how these events happened. And they were describing very strange things, strange entities with strange ways. We've got strange ways to present to you now. With Jerry, Gene, and Randall, you're in The Paracast. listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. Do you need a website? Well, you can get a great deal on hosting services with Namecheap's legendary coupon code. They're offering substantial hosting discounts on shared hosting, business hosting, VPS hosting, reseller hosting, and even dedicated servers. Namecheap is preferred by millions. It's backed by a money-back guarantee. 
Use the coupon code LEGENDARY to cash in on this special deal at Namecheap.com, Namecheap.com. First came Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there is the coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream. A dream that turns out to be a nightmare, because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and the coming of the Protectors. Find out more at Rockoids.com. That's Rockoids, R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S, dot com. In these uncertain times, it makes sense to have a sustainable backup method to cook food and boil water. If your current plan includes using a fuel-burning stove or cooking over an open fire, then there's a much better way. The Minuteman Rocket Stove is a biomass-burning cooking stove that only requires small quantities of sticks and twigs for fuel. The Minuteman Stove is easy to use, smokeless, portable, powerful, and sustainable. For the finest in survival cooking stoves and fire starters made right here in the USA, go to MinutemanStove.com. That's MinutemanStove.com. Looking for that edge during those intimate moments? We see many ads for enhancement, but the side effects include death. At GCN Team, we should change the Healthy Body Brain and Heart Pack to the Healthy Libido Pack. The brain and heart are not the only organs that require a healthy vascular system. For proper blood flow at the right moment, go to GCNTeam.com or call 877-878-4203. That's 877-878-4203. That's 877-878-4203. Are you afraid to go to the mailbox because of letter after letter from the IRS? Are they stacking on more and more penalties and interest? By now, you know the problem won't go away on its own. Don't let the IRS chase you to your grave with penalties and interest and liens and levies. You need real help now. I'm Dan Pilla. I wrote the book on tax debt settlement, and I help thousands of people solve tax problems they thought couldn't be solved. I can help you too. Call 800-34-NO-TAX or go to my website, danpilla.com. That's danpilla.com. danpilla.com. Standing up for what's right. Helping out when things go wrong. Raising our voices alone or together. Seeking the truth and speaking our minds. Not just making records, but breaking them. Fighting for victory on the battlefield and on the playing field. Seeing the world through new eyes and the earth from miles above. Redefining beauty, brains, and what it really means to be queen. Making ourselves heard on stage and on screen. Showing the way in Silicon Valley. And showing up for others wherever help is needed most. Not just making our mark, but making a difference. Now that's a job for a Girl Scout. Girl Scouts. Preparing girls for a lifetime of leadership. Complement your health with hemp-derived cannabinoid oil. We've always believed that the closer to Earth, the better it is for our bodies. Our hemp-derived cannabinoid oil is phytocannabinoid-rich, full-spectrum, and organically grown. Finally, hemp made easy, clean, and effective. GCNHemp.com or call 877-878-4203. That's right, we cut through the red tape. It's now available at GCNHemp.com or call 877-878-4203. Hi, this is Joshua P. Warren, author of The Poor Man's Paranormal, and you're listening to The Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio.
strange ways? I don't know. Jerry, please continue. One of the most eye-opening experiences I ever had was reading Jacques Vallée's book, Passport to Magonia, published in 1969. And Vallée was the first ufologist to study the considerable lore going back hundreds of years of otherworldly experiences, and he was particularly interested in the experience of fairies. And I read that book, and I began doing my own research and reading. There's a large literature on the subject, not by mystics, although that exists too. I wasn't interested in that. I was interested in the material that came from people who would go into like rural societies and talk with people about their extraordinary experiences and what they would hear. And some of these early folklores and antiquarians and, and anthropologists were so puzzled by the apparent sincerity of their informants talking about things for which there was no ordinary explanation except the one that the informants offered, which was a literal interpretation of their experience of a supernatural race. And at first, some of the scholars were willing to accept this because the 19th century was full of all kinds of intellectual ferment, including the creation of the Society for Psychical Research. And the and psychical research in the latter 19th centuries was really a respectable activity. In fact, it was part of the early history of psychology. And it was considered a branch of psychology, not in the sense that that was being used here as something that, that would explain anything that was otherwise unexplainable. But as the extraordinary was one way, one part of the world that was accessible to the mind, and that it had its own kind of quirky aspects and laws. And so it was possible for somebody like Walter Evans West to write a book for Oxford University Press in 1911 that argued that fairies actually existed. He went around in uh, Ireland and the west of England and in Brittany and the, in the Celtic districts interviewing people about their experience of fairy. And he was quite impressed. And he wrote a book called uh, The Fairy Faith in Celtic Countries, published in 1911, which was a scholarly book, which is still at least respected for its data. But he said the evidence suggests that fairies exist in another instance. He, said, he didn't use the word parallel universe, but he was using the vocabulary of the early 20th century. That's what he meant. That's what I was getting at with this third realm, so to speak, and what you call the Middle Kingdom. If we translate that out to what actually some of the academics out there are thinking now, we're dealing with the possibility of alternate universes. And well, if they can monitor somehow, if they have the ability to monitor what's going on in our universe, maybe study us to some extent, understand what it is that we might be thinking and portray things to us that they want us to see in order to get some sort of a reaction. Well, there very well could be this somewhat what you would describe as a as an existence of something that isn't what we normally think of as material in our universe, but is still objectively real and separate from the witness themselves. I don't believe that. That that that's the approach that used to be people couldn't get over the idea 
that that maybe in these experiences we're not dealing with a true other race. And so because we can't get to that, we have to have the idea that they live somewhere objectively different from us. For example, within the fairy tradition, it was believed that fairies lived in caves, in hills, on mountaintops. There was a, this urge, this desire to give them a specific place because they were real just as we are. So they had to have a place to live. When you talk about another dimension or parallel universe, you're just guessing. You're just giving them a place to live. What right, but, that, but that's logical. Live? Because if, it, if and, they and don't come from somewhere else... Logical is kind of a self-referencing word. It's logical to you. It may not be logical to oh, a universe that's no. a lot larger than us. I don't know a about lot that, larger Jerry. than Lo- our idea. Hang on. Logic isn't doesn't work that way. It's not someone's subjective personal opinion. Logic, Logic is one of those things that, that you want. No, it doesn't. That's that's the whole. That's completely backwards. You see things. No, logic works in a way that is independent from the person that's thinking it. Randall, please let him speak. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead, Jerry. I mean, you can cut me off, but I guess I can't do the same. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm, I would I'm, completely I'm, disagree with that. Logic is how we define what's objectively true, regardless of what people think. That's why when we use courtrooms to define what happened we don't simply go on what somebody says and what they think and what their opinion is they go out and they get measurements and evidence that is independent and logically supportable in terms of what we know about the world of course your analogy is happening entirely within what everybody would agree is consensus reality i'm talking about something else well what is that something else then what I've been trying to talk about, the experience that happens outside our categories, including our sense of the way ordinary things work, to which we apply logic. These are not ordinary things. These operate by a different set of rules. And, and well, you, I'm trying to figure out what the rules are. Right, you're me too. denying, as I, as I understand you, that, ru- that, the, that, that rules could possibly exist outside ordinary categories. No, not necessarily. I think ordinary is a subjective term that depends on how we look at the problem. So, you know, I offered what I consider to be a logical possibility for some sort of middle ground there, but that is, I think that was pretty reasonable. Uh, You were wondering about shared hallucinations. Um, I might want to remind you about the the Salem witch trials, and there's been a fair bit written about that. I'm sure you know about it. There's they talk about groupthink, the power of suggestion, and uh, the un, probably unaware uh, ingestion of uh, rhymal giving them LSD-like hallucinations that were common you know, to a bunch of people. With, with the Salem witch claims, that testimony was almost entirely withdrawn after the hysteria ended. And with extraordinary encounters as I'm talking about them. People don't withdraw their testimony. In fact, the experience often remains with them the rest of their lives and sometimes influences the way they live the rest of their lives. You know, if, if all these things happen in hysterical states of fear and, and um, superstition, 
then I wouldn't make this argument because it would be clearly not applicable. You're talking, about, when you're talking about the terror that befell Salem in 1692, you're talking about some kind of hothouse of hysteria and psychological aberration. That's not the state in which experience anomalies ordinarily occur. In fact, they, they usually occur in completely ordinary reality, and they occur unexpectedly. The person's walking down the road, driving down the street, walking down the street, driving down the road, and sees something. My experience of anomalies happened in my front yard late one night when I was coming home and was not thinking uh, anything like it, and there it was. And it was nothing that I expected to see, nothing that made any sense to me. I saw it two more times. The last time I saw it was with my wife. Well, tell us a little more about this. I find this very interesting. Well, it was some kind of, kind of hard to explain, but let's just say it was a large aberrational quadruped, which disappeared in front of my eyes. I had it in view for maybe 15 seconds, 20 seconds. That's a long time. The last time I saw it, my wife was, and she saw it too. And uh, If if I had been in some state of hysteria, I wouldn't even tell you that story, because I would figure that, yeah, it was just something that was generated by some unusual mental state. But this mental state that I was in was the mental state that most people have when they experience extraordinary. It's just an ordinary state of consciousness. They're not thinking about anything unusual, and there it is. There it is, the end of the segment. I could have anticipated it from watching the clock. Gene, Randall, and Jerry, you're in the Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. We also have swag. You know, we have all these exclusive Paracast things that you can buy. We've got like, I guess, 60 or so different items and entails T-shirts, sleeves for notebook computers, iPad cases, mouse pads, the Paracast Jumbo tote bag, all sorts of T-shirts and jackets and stuff like that for men and women. We have a Paracast aluminum water bottle. All this stuff, you go to store.theparacast.com, store.theparacast.com. What makes it special is that the items are the best quality, great T-shirts, fabrics, and they have our official logo on them. That's what makes them special in multiple sizes and colors. We even have stuff for children, stuff for women, stuff for men. We have all sorts of sizes, like small up to X large. A lot of good stuff. That's the swag from the Paracast. You go to store.theparacast.com, stop by, and take a shopping tour. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. Do you feel like you're losing control over your finances? If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services and take advantage of the Fresh Start program and new laws that may 
allow us to negotiate a settlement for the lowest amount possible. Our team of tax attorneys and enrolled agents can stop collections and get you protected so you can take control of your financial future. Tax Mediation Services is accredited by the Better Business Bureau. Call now for a free case review and a price protection guaranteed quote. Call Tax Mediation Services now at 800-318-1251. That's 800-318-1251. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. So, in regard to what Jerry said about this experiential event, Randall, you had a comment. Mostly when we look at something, and especially if you know you said you weren't really thinking about it, it wasn't something that you would normally expect to have been conjured up by your mind in any way. You were straight and and experienced this observation. Observation usually involves whatever is being seen reflecting photons off and going through our eyes and being picked up by our eye receptors and so on. So it's an independent objective reality from you. Why would you think that it's something that isn't that then? Because it didn't look like anything normal. It disappeared in front of my eyes. Okay. So that that doesn't necessarily mean it wasn't something separate from you. It just stopped emitting its light somehow or... It was able to vanish in some way that we don't understand. But that doesn't mean it wasn't there or it wasn't objectively real, completely separate from you. It wasn't there in the way you and I are here. I'll just put it that way. And I saw it, you didn't. Right. By using the verb saw, maybe I should put that in scare quotes. Oh, okay. All I, I perceived it, I experienced it. I don't know if I saw it in the way that I would have seen a, a real dog, for example. I once saw uh, what people would call a, you know, a giant wolf. I mean, this thing was about the size of a pony. It's just one of those things that are, are not supposed to exist, like you say. And I observed it a, across the river from me in the daylight. And it went off into the... Uh, and <laughs> I can hear a dog barking in the background. Yeah. That's called synchronicity. <laughs> and uh, it was something that was real and there, and, but I don't know how to explain it. Well, if I had seen it in the... Let's just assume that what you saw was an oversized, real-life wolf. But I saw it didn't look like that. Mm-hmm. I, mean, it, I mean, it would have been extraordinary if an oversized wolf had been in my front lawn on a summer night. There aren't any wolves around here, although I suppose that every once in a while one may wander off its usual territory. We have coyotes around here. Right. This was something else. This was like in the category perhaps of a ghost. It was like an apparitional thing. It didn't look solid. It just looked like... it. What struck me later, and I spent a lot of time thinking about this, because first of all, extraordinarily to me, shockingly to me, it took me quite a while to accept that I had seen something anomalous. Because I was convinced that I could explain it. That anything that happened to me, this is, sounds crazy, but this is the way I was thinking in those days. That yes, I could believe somebody else's testimony, but if it happened to me, it couldn't happen to me because I'd figure out what it was. So <laughs> I actually spent two or three weeks doing a lot of research 
on animals that it was conceivable could have shown up and um, in, in our area, what kinds of cats who were around that I possibly could have seen. And I completely blanked out the fact that it vanished in front of my eyes each time I saw it. And, and your uh, wife saw this as well. Now, did you both see it at the same time, or was this an independent yeah, sighting? Uh, wow. The, 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 I've written about this experience in one of my books, so there's a lot of detail that I'm skipping here. But, um, yeah, we, she saw it, because I, I, we saw it the last time, and we saw it the last time only because of an odd concantation of events had us outside at 4 o'clock in the morning. The other two experiences happened about 10.30 p.m. on the summer night, two summer nights. Very interesting. Thanks for sharing that again with us, Jerry. Um, do you think there's a connection between these kinds of experiences and UFO experiences? In other words, do you think one might be causal of the other or that they're all part of the same process, maybe that comes from this um, third dimension, middle earth explanation you're talking middle about? Uh, yeah, middle the, kingdom, the, yes. The experiential phenomenon as opposed to the event phenomenon. My impression from spending a lot of time studying this thing about it is that UFO, there's no UFO phenomenon. There are UFO phenomena. And, and the, the, UFO, the core UFO phenomenon probably is the one, the close encounter of the second kind, where you have radar visual sightings, you have physical evidence that it seems anomalous even after scientific scrutiny, and then the rest of it, the, the stuff that is that comprises any number of stupid cable TV shows, is the high strangeness stuff. And the high strangeness stuff is part of the experience phenomenon. And it is linked to experience phenomena of many centuries. It just has a different coloration and experience in certain kinds of cultural context and takes on a culture's idea of the other world. And so the reason that we experience abducting aliens as spacemen, is that that's how we define the other world. But if we had been abducted in, in a rural society during almost all of human history, it would have been by demons or fairies or some other kinds of supernatural creatures. So that experience would have been perceived differently. What do you think we're dealing with then with the radar visuals? If we've got two separate kinds of phenomena and we're dealing with those core radar visuals um, where but we I, seem I to that, have a, you know, a, a craft of some kind being tracked by a military jet and radar in some cases and being seen by the pilot as well, then that seems like something pretty independently right. objective of just people's minds. Yeah. Yes. I completely agree. That's why I call it the core phenomenon. The core phenomenon does appear to be physical and technological and, and independently verifiable through, for example, you know, instruments and machines, as well as multiple independent testimony. And so you actually have a body of evidence that something was there, that this something had the characteristics of an advanced technology, and that it's not explainable by in, in terms of 
current technology, current physics, but nonetheless, we have good reason to believe it's there. And in fact, there are a lot of cases like that in the encyclopedia. So you're not trying to explain all of these sightings off as some sort of... I'm talking, um, about, the yeah, experience, okay. the ex- I'm talking about experience anomalies, not about right. event anomalies. All right. So event you, anomalies what, are something else. So you, you acknowledge that what you're calling event anomalies do take place and, and are um, still very unusual. Um, yeah, I, I, I guess I... I thought I was making that clear, but I could see that I wasn't because I was talking about event anomalies while only briefly explaining them. But there are event anomalies, just as I think that there are genuine unknown animals that are zoological creatures that just are currently uncatalogued. But 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 potentially we can prove that they exist and include them in the catalog of existing animals. But there are also creatures that are experienced as extraordinary animals that aren't really there in the sense that we define there. They're in the, we exist in, the, they exist in the, using the word exist loosely, in the experience category. And I think that that's the problem with cryptozoology. The cryptozoological literature is full of experience anomalies masquerading as event anomalies. And so you have all kinds of creatures that are cited by seemingly credible, sincere people that probably aren't animals. They're just experienced that way. Interesting. This is is very complicated. All of this is happening on on a spectrum. On one side of the one extreme of the spectrum is the completely imagined on the other side of the spectrum are things that exist in this world. We exist in this world too, sort of, I think. Or maybe we are part of the Matrix. Jerry Clark, Gene Steinberg. Jay, Randall Murphy, you're in. The Paracast. Attack of the Rockoids has been well-received by critics and readers alike. It's a -a thrill-a-minute story you'll never forget. A former U.S. military intelligence officer is haunted by intense dreams about a beautiful woman pleading for his help after a terrible battle in outer space. But the dreams turn out to be true and thrust him into a telepathic love affair with a woman whose faraway planet is intent on destroying the Earth. And now the gripping tale continues in The Coming of the Protectors. It's the second book of the Rockoids trilogy, a galaxy-spanning adventure that pits our hapless heroes against powerful, fanatical enemies that threaten the lives of freedom-loving beings everywhere. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors, classic science fiction at its best, available now. For more details, visit rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. How well and how fast does heart and body extract work to improve blood circulation? Listen. My name is Ellis, and I am 66 years old, and I live in Jacksonville, Florida. Two years ago, I was diagnosed as having clogged arteries. I had 70% blockage in one artery leading to my heart. 
They wanted me to go on Plavix, but I refused, knowing the negative side effects. Heart and Body Extract is a unique balance, synergy, and proportion of herbs reaching from head to toe at maximum absorption around 95% at the cellular level. Within the first month, I felt a dramatic difference. The heaviness in my legs was reduced, and within two months, I felt completely normal. Your natural organic herbal formula for heart health is Heart and Body Extract. Heart and Body Extract comes with a 100% ironclad money-back guarantee. Details at hbextract.com or call 866-295-5305 for Heart and Body Extract. Call 866-295-5305, 866-295-5305 for Heart and Body Extract. This is George Dory from Coast to Coast AM and History Channel's Ancient Aliens. We support the amazing energy, nutrition, and skincare products from Jeunesse. Jeunesse products are designed by leading doctors in their field with natural ingredients and even stem cell technology. These products help your body perform and look better. Shop Jeunesse at GCNLife.com or call 1-844-443-6637. GCNLife.com or 844-443-6637. Hey everyone, Proactive MD has an incredible offer for our radio listeners only. Stay tuned for our exclusive offer that includes a free charcoal pore cleansing brush and free shipping. Proactive MD with prescription strength adapalene can heal and prevent future breakouts. Today, for just $19.95, we're offering listeners the three-piece Proactive MD system with free shipping, plus a free gift, the new charcoal pore cleansing brush. Get this exclusive offer by calling now, 1-800-583-8662, or go to Proactive.com and enter promo code radio you heard right proactive md plus free shipping and a free gift the new charcoal pore cleansing brush you'll get all this for just $19.95 and their 60-day money-back guarantee you're guaranteed to get clear and stay clear or you get your money back call now 1-800-583-8662 that's 1-800-583-8662 or go to proactive.com and enter promo code radio again go to proactive.com and enter promo code radio Hunters, anglers, campers, and survivalists. Get back to nature. Expand your horizons with the highest quality, most versatile, unique slingshots and slingbows on the market at slingbow.com. Slingbow products are compact and models start from just $17.98. They're perfect for your bug out bag or storing in your vehicle. Give yourself and your loved ones the excitement and tradition of slingbow. A new frontier in archery and truly modern twist on this primitive survival tool. Feel the thrill only at slingbow.com. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. Talking about the extremes of reality, are we, Jerry? Yes. Right. We had author Eric Roulette on. Uh, he wrote a book called Illuminations recently, and he talks very similar to the way that you do about the way that people experience strange things and pretty much writes all paranormal events off as something parapsychological, is what he calls it, you know, the realm of the parapsychological. It could be a telepathic thing. Is it, are you familiar with Eric at all? Yeah, I've read his book. I actually wrote a review of it. Oh yeah. How do you, what do you think of that approach? How does that compare with you, this it idea? Very much like the first book that I wrote with Lauren Coleman in 1975. And I thought that there aren't really many original ideas. There. I think that 
we had this compulsion to explain things. And so we explain things in terms, if we have to, of things that themselves are not explained or are uncertainly true, or if the, if true, we understand only vaguely. That is why in talking about experience anomalies, I'm really more interested in not the ultimate nature of these things, which I think is irrecoverable. It's just simply so far beyond knowledge that we can't get there. But if we can at least understand how it works, what, how it seems to function, then we know something. When I talk about, not, not just me, but other writers on loom, you know, threshold experience, uh, you, you don't try to explain it. You just show this is probably how this works. But you don't explain where it comes from. You can't explain how it works. But you can make an argument that this would explain things that are otherwise unexplainable. That in some way we don't understand these things operate according to counterintuitive rules. I think that if we acknowledge, just make this simple acknowledgement, which is what I, the fundamental part of my argument, that yes, it is possible to experience the fantastic. Then we can talk. But if the argument begins where the fantastic things experienced are literally true, or the argument begins the fantastic thing allegedly experienced can't be true, therefore it isn't, then we have thousands of years of futile debate about anomalies. Oh, yeah. I, you know, now I think I'm getting a clearer picture of what you're saying there, because um, while I definitely have to agree with you that people have these fantastic experiences, I do constantly question how those experiences take place, what they are and our interpretation of them. And then we get into the spectrum that you've described. So really, I think we're a lot more on the same page than maybe we were uh, thinking at first there. Maybe it's my fault. It, it's a difficult thing to explain and, and outline, and that's why it's much easier to write about than to talk about. And I've just touched the surface of this. I have different ideas, I have more ideas about how it works and why we experience it the way we do. We did dive into the deep end, so you know, it's to, having a little bit of uh, confusion and is probably uh, to be expected, but I'd really like to hear a little bit more about this, if you can elaborate some more. Well, here's an event anomaly that fades into an experience anomaly. Ball lightning. Most physicists believe now that ball lightning exists. It has features that are very hard to understand and are puzzling and there's you know, and, and probably require a deeper knowledge of physics than we possess now, but nobody denies but most scientists don't deny that ball lightning exists. In fact I've even seen it. It is a physical phenomenon. That's pretty cool, because not very many people see it. It is pretty rare. I was driving to Minneapolis one day, and I could not believe. I saw something, and I thought it was, as often happens when you see something anomalous, you at first think it's something anomalous. Fortunately, after about two seconds, I said, yeah, this is ball lightning, because it didn't last much more than two or three seconds. But anyway, you start with ball lightning, and then you soon discover, as we all know, that the only mysterious luminous orbs are not ball lighting. Some things have characteristics that are very strange, but the appearance of ball lighting 
but apparently aren't ball lightning that appear in all kinds of contexts as will the whisper UFOs are all they have all kinds of things they have the appearance of ball lightning but are not ball lightning so maybe what happens is that we start with the idea of ball lightning and then in the experience realm in the high strangest realm we begin with that image and do different things with it and that although it looks like ball lightning it is fundamentally unlike ball lightning and I think that what happens is that anomalies, even physical anomalies, event-level anomalies, enter the cultural imagination and are replayed as experience anomalies that look on some level like the real unusual phenomenon, but act out in different ways. They just have that appearance, but their behavior and their characteristics are not those of the of the real life natural phenomena that provided us with the image of the glowing ball of light. What if there is a Sasquatch and the Sasquatch live as real world hominids in the Pacific Northwest? What if the image of these man-like apes plays out in experience anomalies, provides an image for experience anomalies in places like South Dakota or Pennsylvania or Texas or wherever? There isn't a state in the Union anymore that doesn't have puzzling reports of ape-like creatures that are encountered in different kinds of contexts, but don't seem to be all hoaxes or hallucinations or mistakes. But the image is provided by something that may actually exist in the world. When it exists in the world, it's merely unusual and intriguing and mysterious. But so what you're saying, essentially, if I'm getting you, is, it, is it, it's a misinterpretation of a natural event. What we have is a real-life phenomena that is experienced by the witness against or through the filters, uh, cultural filters, or the filters of their socialization, so that what they're describing isn't actually literally the same as what is objectively out there, and yet we have a real thing that served as the stimulus, and we have a real experience on the part of the experiencer. Yes, that's right. Um, there, there is a, a French guy, his name escapes me at the moment, who um, proposed a hypothesis, I thought you were expressing, that, that he wrote a book on lake monsters, and he says that lake monsters, because they're so biologically unlikely, which I certainly agree. But he said that um, that people were just hallucinating and they would imprint this image a natural phenomena in lakes like a log or something. Well, you know, that's I'm sure that's not entirely untrue. But as it happens, I have a, a lake monster sighting in my own family, and I know the people in the, my family intimately. And I know the dynamics of how they think, their worldview. We'll talk about your family and more. Jerry, Jean, and Randall, you're in the Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. 
Most of you know that heart disease is the number one silent killer in the U.S. What if I told you for just $54.95 a month you could fight against heart disease naturally? At Heart and Body Extract, we've been helping thousands of people get back to a healthier heart. Don't just take my word for it. Check out all of the success stories at hpextract.com. Or to order, call 866-295-5305. That's 866-295-5305. hpextract.com. Don't risk it when you can take charge of it. Water is the single most important thing your body needs, so you want to be sure it's the purest for you and your family. For over 14 years, thousands have depended on Berkey Clean Water. The Berkey Guy has you covered at home, work, and on the go with water filtration systems of every size for every budget. Now, GCN listeners receive 10% off ceramic filter systems using code GCN at GoBerkey.com or call 877-886-3653. GoBerkey.com. USA Radio News. Nobody would have ever thought this could have happened. So uh, the federal government is behind you. We're all behind each other. I think we can truly say, Jerry. And uh, Jerry and I have been speaking, and Gavin and I have now gotten to know each other, and we're all going to work together, and we'll, uh, we'll do a real job. But this is very sad to see it. President Trump's reaction as he tours some of the areas that were hit hardest by some of the wildfires that have hit California over the last week. According to the Butte County Sheriff, at least 71 people have died, and there's still many more people that they're looking for that are unaccounted for. According to numerous reports, the CIA believes that the Saudi Crown Prince ordered the assassination of Jamal Khashoggi. This goes against initial indications, and the CIA has yet to confirm if these reports are true. And in Florida, the hand recount has to be complete by Sunday at noon Eastern time. You're listening to USA Radio News. There's no question you need omega-3s. But which form should you take? Fish oil or krill oil? Scientists have debated this for years. Luckily, there's a new solution to satisfy everyone. It's called Krill Omega 50 Plus. It combines ultra-pure fish oil and joint-soothing krill oil together in just one tiny pill. It's so powerful, it can promote the health of your heart and your arteries. And if that wasn't enough, it can also boost your joint comfort in just days. We're so sure Krill Omega Omega 50 Plus will work for you. We'll even send you a free bottle to put to the test. The debate is over. It's not fish oil or krill oil. It's both. And now it's free. Just pay $4.95 for shipping and claim your free bottle. Call now. 1-800-399-6392. 1-800-399-6392. That's 1-800-399-6392. Pain in my neck, back, and shoulders has really gotten worse. Relief for body pain is here with Sunny Bay Heating Pads. Well, the last thing I want is to take another pill, so what's so good about Sunny Bay Heating Pads? Sunny Bay Heating Pads, made by Biomed DB Design right here in the USA, come in all sizes. Our extra-large microwavable heating pad for back pain is designed to be large enough to cover your entire back. It's also perfect to wrap around your legs, knees, or shoulder and neck. But I need to know they're good quality. Of course, Sunny Bay 
holiday heating pads and pillows are often an Amazon choice. And it's easy and most affordable when you purchase your Sunny Bay heating pads right from our website, sunshinepillows.com. Or call us, 253-678-1361. Hey, a Sunny Bay heating pad would make a great gift, right? Yes, and they start at just $19.99 and free shipping is available. So call 253-678-1361 or shop for your Sunny Bay heating pad at sunshinepillows.com. This is Jacques Vallée, and you're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. Well, I certainly hope one knows their family very well. I would say I'm an exception. I have relatives I haven't seen in years. I don't know what they do. I don't know what their status is. Maybe it's my fault. Or maybe because you live in a small town, Jerry. No, it has nothing to do with it. it. It has to do with just the dynamics of the family. And I don't really have much connection. My my parents are dead. My cousins and stuff, I just, they're strangers. I don't have connection with them. Connection with my wife and children. And and occasionally my ex-wife, who is the, the cider in this case, along with my older son. But you're saying you know their worldview and that they've had sightings of lake monsters. They had a sighting. Okay. And it, w- it happened some years ago on a lake in South Dakota where the families had a, my ex-wife's families had a cabin for two or three generations. And um, my ex-mother-in-law, who has since died, was just looking out on the lake and she saw something really strange. And she called my her daughter, my ex-wife, and she saw the same thing that my mother-in-law was seeing. And then she called my older son. And who is an adult and is about 30 or so. They witnessed this lake serpent. It was about 40 feet long. And they were able to judge its um, length because it was near a familiar landmark. And it was swimming in the lake. And they had it in view for two or three minutes. And they had a very good view of it. And I didn't learn about it because I'm not in daily contact or weekly or monthly contact with my ex-wife, but I learned about it some a few years later because my ex-wife showed up at my mother's funeral. It was after the funeral, and we were having, was talking with Penny, my ex-wife, and she told me the story. And Alex, my son, who was with her, said, confirmed the story, and he was adding to it, in clarifying details. Well, eventually I got around to writing about it, and I published an article on Fortean Times several years ago. And in the meantime, I had done a lot of research on 19th century lake monster sightings. And I made an interesting discovery that stories of lake monsters in the 19th century were of giant serpents, not Loch Ness-style plesiosaurs. In other words, they saw what they described as giant snakes. Right, without the head sticking out of the water kind of thing. You know, up with, with a neck. Without, like a plesiosaur with a bulky body and a long neck. Yeah. That's the modern idea of a lake monster. Well, anyway, I, I interviewed them and I talked with them separately and got all the details. And I talked with other people that they talked with. They were seemed in no particular, my ex-wife was in no particular hurry to tell me about this because this stuff wasn't part of her life once I was no longer a part of it. But she told me the story, and um, 
was interesting that she used the word sea serpent to describe it, even though South Dakota is nowhere near any ocean. And uh, the sighting was very strange, and there there just seemed to be any alternative explanation, and they were absolutely insistent that it wasn't a log or a beaver or anything like that. And um, later on, I realized that what they had seen was a 19th century lake serpent. The, re- the kinds of reports you don't hear much in later decades and centuries. And they also found out that apparently this monster was known by people who lived on the lake. They just didn't talk about it, but they'd seen it or heard it, and including the Indian people who this, this land is reservation land, and they had known about this for a long time. But people weren't talking about it because for the usual reasons of, of um, you know, being ridiculed. And it, it occurred to me that this was, I had a very hard time believing that a literal physical lake monster lives in that lake. Because if it did, I believe that we would know a lot more about it and it would be seen a lot more. But it struck me as a pseudo-cryptozoological experience. What they had seen was like an experience anomaly. But of course, that concept wasn't in their vocabulary. So they thought they were seeing a large, unknown reptile. And I think that's typical of, of a lot of the data in cryptozoological literature. These are not real things, but their experience is real. Right, if that's, something is really part of an ecosystem, you're going to find out about it. And the larger it is, the more likely your chances of proving its existence. That sort of goes against the idea that it, it's sort of a cultural conditioning thing or a social conditioning thing where, if, for example, we're all familiar with Nessie in the picture of, like you were saying, the plesiosaur uh, like uh, animal sticking its head up out of the water. So you would think that if they were going to see anything like that through that particular psychological filter, that that is what they would see. So, Well, the, the idea of the lake serpent or the sea serpent, which is the vocabulary my ex-wife used, which was interesting to me, that that general idea is out there. You know, it, one thing about images of the extraordinary, the otherworldly, they have all kinds of different variations. They're not, you know, they're not specific like they, they 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 play out the theme broadly, but not in every specific detail. But the idea that some large unknown reptile could exist in a lake exists in culture. It wasn't anything that that my ex-wife and my son gave much thought to because they're not interested in these things. But they did have this experience, and I think the idea of unknown reptiles in lake is out there as a cultural concept, not necessarily as something that people believe is real, but the idea is out there, the image is out there. Just kind of in the background where, say, someone's subconscious might be able to pick up on it and go, hey, I think that's, you know, sort of reminds me of a giant snake in the water or something like that. And so that's what they think it is. I had a question that occurs to me as we talk about your current family and your previous one, Jerry, and I don't know too many people who don't have an ex-wife somewhere. But the question would be, how did they react to your long-time interest in the strange and unknown? Tolerated it. <laughs> they, 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 they're just wonders. They're not interested now. Since they don't seem to, even my ex-wife don't seem to consider me crazy, 
they just say, okay, well, he's interested in that. Just like if I was like a baseball nut or a jazz nut or something. It was just something I was interested in and tied myself to in some ways professionally. They're just not interested. But they were certainly interested when they, when they had this experience. What about the idea that people who are involved in this kind of research tend to be, act sort of like magnets for the phenomena and have more of it, you know, more of those experiences themselves? Like, How long did it take for you to have that experience about the uh, quadruped on your lawn? Oh, it took about all but five years of my life. No, I'm not, I'm not a magnet for anything. But you've seen ball lightning. You've seen this strange quadruped. Yeah, that's more than a lot of people <laughs> get to see. Um, I, I don't think so. Just talking with people. If you gain people's trust, they will tell you some very strange stories that they wouldn't tell you if you hadn't indicated that you were receptive to them. I think that these experience anomalies are part on some level of almost everybody's life experience. They take different forms, some more dramatic than others, some more frightening than others. They happen, and we don't always even recognize them because we naturally rationalize everything that happens to us as I try to rationalize my experience of the ghost dog. I spent weeks trying to rationalize that away, and I believe that extraordinary experiences are possible, but even I couldn't accept it. We're just socialized not to believe in these things. Interesting. Well, I was never socialized not to believe in them because I heard the stories from the time I was small. You know, starting with Sunday school and, and the incredible tales that came out of the Bible, for example. I mean, what kind of, you know, there's a lot of paranormal stuff that goes on there. And so I just thought, you know, that these really strange things can happen in the world. And then they started happening to me. So I figured, oh, well, maybe if it happens to me, it happens to other people. And you're absolutely right, Jerry. If you get talking to people, even if they haven't had an experience themselves, they know somebody who has. We've got more to come. With Jerry Randall and Jr. in the Paracast. You are listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. As you know, neighbors, web hosting can be pretty cheap, but not all hosting is the same. DreamHost wins best of awards year after year. You get unlimited disk space, unlimited bandwidth, and even the low-cost plans put your sites on high-performance SSDs. Want to know more about what DreamHost has to offer? Go to technightowl.com host. Once again, that's technightowl.com host. First came Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there is the coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream. A dream that turns out to be a nightmare, because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and the coming of the Protectors. Find out more at Rockoids.com. That's Rockoids, R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S, dot com. In these uncertain times, it makes sense to have a sustainable backup method to cook food and boil water. If your current plan includes using a fuel-burning stove or cooking over an open fire, then there's a much better way. The Miniman Rocket Stove is a biomass-burning cooking stove that only requires small quantities of sticks and twigs for fuel. The Miniman Stove is easy to use, smokeless, portable, powerful, and sustainable. For the finest in survival cooking stoves and fire starters made right here in the USA, go to MinutemanStove.com. That's MinutemanStove.com. 
The United States of Empire is a book that claims the United States is the empire of the world. George Washington had warned us against foreign wars. The United States of Empire shows that World Wars I and II left England broken. Its former colony, the U.S., had to save the empire. Was there ever a vote? Who do we fight for? The deep state began with World War I. The United States of Empire by James Dunn. Available at Amazon Books. We depend on our drinking water supply daily, but where does that water come from? Your water provider encourages you to get to know your local water source so together we can protect and preserve it. The investments we make as a community to protect our water source now ensure we have a sustainable drinking water supply for the future. Visit drinktap.org to learn more. This message is brought to you by the American Water Works Association and your local water provider. Attention business owners and independent contractors. This is a money-saving message from Tax Mediation Services. If your business owes $20,000 or more in taxes, we can help you today, right now. Listen, dealing with the IRS is no picnic. It's an intimidating and extremely stressful process, and you don't want to go it alone. Our attorneys know every law, every tax break, and every possible opportunity to help you resolve and reduce your tax debt. And if you owe more than $20,000, you may be at the top of their hit list. So don't take your tax debt lightly because it will not go away on its own. The IRS can seize your bank accounts, your home, and even shut down your business. Call our tax experts today at 1-800-318-4349 and let us deal with the IRS while you focus on your business. That's 1-800-318-4349. Again, that's 800-318-4349. By now you know that wireless technology like cell phones do in fact pose dangers to the health and privacy of everyone. Blocket Pocket's wide range of products are unmatched in providing the protection you deserve. No scare tactics, just common sense. BlockitPocket.com offers quality American-made options to alleviate and eliminate these invisible dangers. Learn more at BlockitPocket.com or call 888-315-9618. BlockitPocket.com, enhancing health and privacy. This is Leslie Kane, and I'm with the Coalition for Freedom of Information, and you are listening to the Paracast. Of course, someone like a MUFON would never know about the past experiences in the family, because unless the user or the witness, unless the witness volunteers it, their questionnaire doesn't cover it all. I want to hit that very briefly. MUFON, 50 years old, they're sending me offers to have some of their people, including Jan Harzan, the director, on the show. And I'm happy to talk to the people. But what, pray tell, has MUFON accomplished in 50 years? Jerry, you're the historian. Do you know? Well, I think that MUFON, particularly in its earlier years, attracted some of the best people in ufology, like Ted Blocher, Walt Webb, his brother David Webb, and Ted Phillips, people like that, who really are among the heroes of ufology. But on the other end, MUFON really had its origins in the local flying saucer club. And on one level, MUFON was a serious UFO research group. On another, it was just a flying saucer club. And I think that, you know, from what I know of MUFON, 
about it. I know there are still some good people in because I run into the ones. But I think the Flying Saucer Club part of it just kind of dominates these days. Are you still with QFOs? Well, QFOs doesn't really exist anymore except as an archive and a website. But that was the only UFO organization that I ever identified with because KUFOS was doing it the way I felt intellectually comfortable with and I liked the people who also shared my concepts of what the problem was and how to approach it. And also to publish serious, we published a magazine which I edited and a journal which was edited by the late Stuart Appel, who was a psychologist. And we put out real scholarship, and we did real investigations. And yes, we made some mistakes. We got caught up in the Roswell enthusiasm, but everybody makes mistakes. It's only if you rectify the mistakes and move on and acknowledge them that you make progress. And I, I just think that MUFON's acceptance of dubious claims just seems kind of out of control these days. My impression here is MUFON, number one, is having trouble keeping the members because they're not making a whole lot of progress from the early days. I mean, certainly, I think they started out well. I think part of it also is that they're looking at marketing UFOs as opposed to investigating them. Am I wrong? You know... I, I don't. I think you're probably right. It's just that I don't pay much attention to MUFON, to be honest. But that sounds like in conformity with what I hear from other people. I've got to ask, where do you think we, as more responsible ufologists, should be taking the field, or or it, can anything be done? What should we do, Jerry? Well, I think that what we do is, but this is what we're doing. I think I can define what we serious people are doing. Acknowledging that science isn't going to start taking up UFOs next week, but we can continue to study and analyze and investigate and provide the most accurate and best documented and well thought out material that we that somebody will hand to a future generation of scientists when they're willing to take this up. And um, that's what we can do because our job is depending on how old you are, and I know how old I am, and I don't think Gene's a spring chicken either. You know, this is, our job is close to finished. It's up to the next generation or generation beyond that to, to continue it. UFOs won't go away, neither will other anomalies. We just have to approach them in a way that isn't crazy, that uh, is material that others who are better trained than we are as scholars and scientists can will find useful. I Absolutely. Think that's, I, that's how I see my encyclopedias. You know, say in the next generation, scientists want to take up UFOs. Encyclopedia will be one of the things that they will turn to. Has it got any kind of a electronic version, a CD that comes with it, where you can search through it or anything like that? You're Companion to, CD? You're talking to a Luddite. You'd have to go to the publisher's website or wherever the, the book is being sold through the usual right. online booksellers. I have email and internet, and that's where I jumped off the boat. <laughs> but I'm sure there's the electronic version of it, yes. Oh, that would be fabulous, because then it probably has a search feature, 
that a person could i if it does i'm sold already you know well, i'm sold i'm sold anyhow but uh yeah if it has that that's a bonus there's an, the old from the old fashioned approach there's an extensive index so it's possible to find stuff in the book the old fashioned way right and I'm sure it will be a, a fabulous addition to my library, uh, which I fully intend on getting once it becomes available up here in Canada, which is where I am. We can get it on Amazon.ca yet until January. Oh, is that right? Yeah, January 2019 is saying it's coming then. So I'm looking forward to that. I'm putting uh, Amazon uh, gift cards on my wish list so that I can afford it. Wow. I, d- I didn't know that. That's interesting. Yeah, check it. The site every day, it seems to be selling steadily for, which is surprising for a book of its price, but apparently people want to have it and, you know, maybe turn their life savings over to purchasing a copy. <laughs> I don't know. Well, it's not, when you think about what you're getting, it's not really that that bad. I mean, if it's that extensive and it's, uh, we're talking hardcover here, I'm assuming, two volumes uh, and the kind of work that you've put into it, I don't really think that it's the kind of book that any serious ufologist should be without, personally. Well, thank you. I, I hope so. I, I can say there's stuff in the book that you won't find anywhere else. I could always hope you either have the credit line or because the book is so expensive that you could pay it out in three payments. <laughs> that would be nice. Yeah, they do that at Sweetwater, which is a dealer of audio equipment and music equipment. So say you want to buy a new guitar, and it's $500. You can split up the payments every month to take it out of your credit card. Hmm. Yeah, unfortunately, I don't think my publisher is that imaginative. You know, what I else just, is on the horizon Have you besides the book? Are you getting ready to do some more lecturing or out on conferences or anything like that? I basically what i do these days i mean i still write not always about anomalies i do do a lot of writing about roots music which is another interest of mine but in terms of anomalies almost all my writing is is in 14 times these days any speaking engagements coming up i live in a remote rural town in the upper midwest and just getting anywhere is is a great big hassle and i I've done all the stuff that I wanted to do except write my last book on the subject, and I have done now done that. So I'll probably be pretty scarce. If somebody wants me to speak, the last time I spoke, they actually hired a cab from Sioux Falls, South Dakota, which drove all the way up to where I live, which is more than 100 miles north of Sioux Falls, drove me back, flew me out to Baltimore. And I spoke for an hour, and then they flew me back. And I thought, are these people crazy? I mean, they were nice people, very nice people. I had a very good time, and I I loved the people. But they must have mistaken me for somebody important. You are important, Jerry. You are important, Jerry. You (laughs) (laughs) in the field. (laughs) Okay, seriously speaking here, and that is serious. Okay. Okay, Jerry, I assume you still don't have a website, do you? No. No, I, when I said I'm a Luddite, I wasn't joking. I'm just not interested enough in myself to do that kind of stuff. Well, we at least know where we can find the book. So, And we hope to have you back again in the future sometime because you don't have to go anywhere to do a radio interview. That's true. You can find us on Twitter. Look for the Paracast. Look for the official Paracast fan clubs, both of them. On Facebook, 
Look for After the Paracast, that special show, which is a wrap-up show or extended interviews. And Jerome Clark will be back this week on After the Paracast. And you get that if you join the Paracast Plus at plus.theparacast.com for more info. You also get a version of this show free of the network ads. How about them apples or pears or whatever? Plus.theparacast.com to become a member of the Paracast Plus. Jerry Clark, thank you for joining us this week on the Paracast. Thanks for having me. Been fun. The Paracast, featuring Gene Steinberg and Christopher O'Brien, is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Tune in next week for a new adventure in The Paracast. <laughs>